Welcome to Rapidly Rotating Records, an hour of toe-tapping music from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s with yours truly, Glenn Robison. We've got dance bands, hot bands, sweet bands, show tunes, novelty tunes, blues, jazz, and more on everything from Aeolian to Xenophone and by everyone from Aronson to Zerky. This evening's show is rather food-oriented as we're going to enjoy some candy, brownies, and tomatoes. And we'll also play the guitar. Last week I was listening to Lila, one of my favorite songs ever, by the way. I think it was Frankie Trumbauer's version with Sager Ellis. When a line in the lyrics caught my attention and I'd like to share it with you. There are lots of different recordings of Lila, and I'm not going to play Trumbauer's rendition, but one that hasn't been played on the show since 2007 and ask you to listen very closely to the lyrics for something in the words that you probably won't quite be able to figure out. It's about one minute in, but don't worry, I'll do an instant replay of the line in question after the record's over. About Helen Smith? Why, no, I haven't, Bill. Well, they say she's become very religious. Religious? I can't imagine that. Tell me about her. Why, every time she sees a hymn, she takes up a collection. I fall down. Oh, don't fall down, Bill. Here's good news. No more blues. Sweet Lila's in town. Listen, puss, I heard that too. You know, good news travels around. For a thrill, wait until she passes you by. I would stake my reputation that she catches your eye. Who's got a sugary sweet personality? La, I love. Wonderful nothing less. Bundle of happiness. La, I love. Who has her picture taken wherever she goes? Who's on the candy boxes of Hyla? What's Lila? Who's just the kind of girl? Sets the boys' hearts a world. La, I love. Look at them fall for her. Gentlemen all prefer Lila. You know. Well, I know. She's so. Oh, oh, oh. Up, up to the minute there's nobody in it with Lila. And what's more, she's got a beautiful smile. Well, heavenly eyes. Kissable lips. And what's more, she's got a sociable mind. And a regular paw. Oh, they bought her a car. Say, Lila's got them all rooted. And is she worth it? You're tilting, boy. personality, huh? Well, tell me, who? Why, it's Lila. Wonderful, nothing less, a bundle of happiness. Yes, sir, it's Lila. And do you know that she has her picture took wherever she goes? Yes, and I hear that she wins the prize in all the beauty shows. Lila, when there's a gang around, who do they hang around? Lila, who would they like to steal? Who has that sweet appeal? Lila, you know, I know, she's so Oh, 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 up to the minute there's nobody in it with Lila. 
Lila, written by Archie Gottler, Maceo Pinkard, and Harry Tobias. That recording was made March 19, 1928 in Oakland, California, and was issued on Victor 21383. It's one of only two sides made by the duo of Bill Hawley, the baritone voice, and Puss Donahue, the tenor. Puss Donahue was born July 6, 1901, the only child of Edward Donahue, a bricklayer, and his wife Labradon. And his nickname probably comes from his real given name, Percy Sheldon Donahue. He worked as a clerk in the garment industry before graduating from UC Berkeley, where he was a member of the Decoration Committee in the Freshman Glee Club. In the mid-1920s, Holly and Donahue were heard regularly on Oakland radio station KLX as singers of up-to-the-minute songs and were also billed as the Western Happiness Boys. Bill Holly was a pianist and also teamed up with Charlie Midgley. That duo was also heard on KLX in Oakland, but in 1927, Puss Donahue went on to lead Puss Donahue and his Hotel Oakland Orchestra, a 14-piece outfit which was resident at the Hotel Oakland. I'm happy to report that the Hotel Oakland is still with us and is in fact listed on the National Register of Historic Places. It was completed in 1912 at a cost of $3 million, and radio station KLX, owned by the Oakland Tribune newspaper, began broadcasting from a couple of rooms on the seventh floor in 1921. On July 10, 1928, Percy Donahue married Mary Dolores Davison. In 1936, Donahue was still leading Puss Donahue's Ivory Court Orchestra at the Hotel Oakland, but the 1940 census shows him as divorced, living with his parents, and working as a salesman in the engraving and printing shop owned by Edgar V. Simpson. Percy Sheldon Donahue died February 15, 1985. But let's get back to Lila. I asked you to pay attention to the lyrics, and here's the specific line I was referring to. Who's on the candy boxes of Lila? What, Lila? If you can't quite make out all the words, it goes, Who's on the candy boxes of Hylers? Why, it's Lila. So, what is Hylers? Hylers, H-U-Y-L-E-R, refers to Hylers Candy Company. John Hyler was born in New York City on June 26, 1846, and worked in his father's bakery and ice cream shop in Greenwich Village. In the early 1870s, Hyler opened his own ice cream and candy shop on Broadway near 18th Street. He put a taffy puller in the store window, which created a lot of interest, and by 1881, Hyler's was incorporated and built a six-story factory to manufacture candy for its shops in Manhattan, Brooklyn, and Albany. In 1883, a fellow from Pennsylvania arrived in New York and went to work for Hylers until 1885, when he returned to Lancaster to start his own company. You want to know his name? Well, sure you do. Milton S. Hershey. Well, what do you know about that? When John Hyler died in 1910, he had 14 factories across the country, supplying 54 stores and employed about 2,000 people. Hylers became a household name in the mid-1920s, but the family sold the company in 1925, and it began a long, slow slide into oblivion, culminating in its listing in 1964 as dormant and worthless. The Hyler Building in Buffalo, New York, built in 1926, is still with us and is on the National Register of Historic Places. 
Oh, and for the record, I don't believe Lila in the song really had anything whatsoever to do with the Hyler Candy Company. So, in honor of Hylers, let's have some ear candy, beginning with Clarence Williams' Jazz Kings. It's the candy man. 
your hand, it's the candy man. It's the candy man.
Original Dixieland Jazz Band, December 3rd, 1917, with Lassus Candy, written by Nick LaRocca. That tune started out with the title The Belgian Doll, but I think Lassus Candy is a better match. Before the ODJB, it was American country blues singer and guitarist Mississippi John Hurt, on December 28, 1928, with Candyman Blues. John Smith Hurt was born in 1892 or 93 in Teoc, Mississippi, but grew up in Avalon. Uh, Avalon, Mississippi, that is. As a child, he taught himself to play guitar and played for friends and at dances and worked as a farmer. In 1928, he had a chance to audition for OK Records, which led to two recording sessions, one in Memphis and one in New York. Unfortunately, his records were not commercial successes, and he returned to obscurity in Avalon until 1963, when he was rediscovered and performed extensively, both live and recording for Vanguard Records and the Library of Congress. Mississippi John Hurt died on November 2, 1966, in Granada, Mississippi. We started that confection set with Clarence Williams' Washboard 4 and Candy Lips from January 29, 1927. The scat chorus was by Clarence Williams, and that was Benny Moten on clarinet. I'm Glenn Robison, and you're listening to Rapidly Rotating Records. Back on the October 6th show, I mentioned that Effie Kamen wrote Dance of the Brownies. Dance of the Brownies was recorded twice in 1899 by banjo player Joseph P. Cullen in a duet with fellow banjo player William G. Collins on October 14th, and even earlier on March 20th, 1899, as a banjo solo. I wish I could say the following is directly from the original 7-inch Berliner disc, but it's from a 1979 vinyl LP on the Westwood Records label, which was still sealed in its shrink wrap when I acquired it last week. Here's Joseph Cullen in 1899 to start off a set of rapidly rotating records about brownies. Thank you. 
front here, Brownie, sit down on my knee. Nice run here, Brownie, sit down on my knee. Just pray to the world, babe, how you mistreating me. Black woman, burn no bread for me. Want no jet black woman, burn no bread for me. Jet black is evil and she sure might poison me. Thank you. 
We started off that brownie set with one of Washington's leading banjoists, Joseph Cullen, with Dance of the Brownies, from Berliner 5903Z, recorded March 20, 1899. Dance of the Brownies was written by composer, pianist, music teacher, and vaudeville performer Effie Kamen, born in 1868. It was inspired by the children's book, written by Palmer Cox, and in this case, brownies are not ooey-gooey, chocolatey baked goods. I like mine with walnuts. But mischievous, yet kind-hearted, fairy-like sprites, a depiction of which is on the sheet music. And it was Palmer Cox's brownies, after which Eastman Kodak's brownie camera was named. Cullen and Collins also recorded Twin Star March in 1899, and there's a perfectly listenable restoration on an Archeophone CD, which you just might be hearing in an upcoming show. Dance of the Brownies was followed by Brownie Blues, performed by the blues guitar duo of Stephen Tarter, who wrote Brownie Blues and was vocalist, and Harry Gay. The pair had one recording session in Bristol, Tennessee on November 2, 1928, that resulted in two sides issued on Victor 38017. Tartar and Gay were followed by Milton Brown and his musical Brownies and Brownies Stomp, recorded in the Texas Hotel, San Antonio, on April 4, 1934. The Brownies were Derwood Brown, guitar and harmony vocals, Cecil Brower, fiddle, Fred Papa Calhoun on piano, Juana Kaufman, slapping the bass, and O.C. Stockard, plucking the tenor banjo. Some weeks ago, I ran out of time to play the guitar rag by Harvey and Johnston. Well, here it is to start off a guitar-centric segment. Hello there, Jeff. Hello, Roy. Boy, you look like you've been playing some. See, you got your guitar with you. Yeah, I've been playing a little bit. Say, let's you and I try that old number you used to play, that uh, guitar rag, and work on it like you used to, way back in West Virginia. All right.
baby love to hear this guitar blues. My baby love to hear this guitar blues. But now she's gone, I'm lonesome, lonesome too. you make that lonesome sound every time you make that lonesome sound I wish to the Lord I six feet under the ground make it cry boy every time you that guitar strain Every time you slide that guitar strain It breaks my heart Cause it sure don't sound the same Go way up on the neck of it now, boy Acuff's name has heretofore been mentioned on the show only in connection with his 1942 partnership with Fred Rose in their publishing company, Acuff Rose Music. But there you heard Roy Acuff and his crazy Tennesseans with Steel Guitar Blues. Conqueror 9086 was recorded in Birmingham, Alabama on March 22, 1937. Before Roy Acuff, we heard Clifford Hayes, Louisville Stompers, with Blue Guitar Stomp. That Victor 78, catalog number 20955, was waxed June 7, 1927, and was preceded by the Triple R debut of Guitar Blues. The label of OK8711, made May 7, 1929, credits Blind Willie Dunn's Gin Bottle 4, actually a pseudonym for Eddie Lang. The other guitar in the duo is played by Lonnie Johnson, who wrote Guitar Blues along with Eddie Lang. We started that guitar set with Guitar Rag by Harvey and Johnston. Rory Cecil Harvey was born March 24, 1892 in Greenville, West Virginia. As a young man, he worked for the Virginian Railway and became the youngest engineer on the 400-mile route that hauled bituminous coal over some of the most rugged terrain in West Virginia to a port near Norfolk. For whatever reason, he left the railroad and was working in a music shop when he happened to meet Charlie Poole, 
and joined the North Carolina Ramblers in 1926 playing guitar. Over the next several years, he recorded dozens of sides with the group and also under his own name. By the end of 1930, Roy Harvey was also recording with fellow West Virginian Jess Johnston, who was a very fine fiddle player and an accomplished guitarist. Jess Johnston, sometimes misspelled Johnson, was born in Baileysville, West Virginia. In 1929, he owned a restaurant, and a man came in with a fiddle and offered to sell it for $5. They struck a deal when Johnston offered him $3 and a chocolate pie from the display case. Johnston realized he got the better end of the deal when he had the violin appraised in 1931 and found it to be a Stradivarius copy worth far beyond what he had paid for it. Johnston played that fiddle for the rest of his life, including the 13 consecutive years that he won the White Top Mountain Virginia Old-Time Fiddle Contest. I'm Glenn Robison, and the show is Rapidly Rotating Records. In the 2013 movie Gangster Squad, set in 1949, Sergeant Jerry Wooters, played by Ryan Gosling, asks, Who's the tomato? When he sees a beautiful woman, Grace Faraday, played by Emma Stone, in the company of crime boss Mickey Cohen, played by Sean Penn. The slang term tomato for an attractive woman goes back to the 1920s, as evidenced by the Billy Basquette song title I mentioned during his recent birthday segment, Nobody Else Can Love Me Like My Old Tomato Can, which you're about to hear sung by Irving Kaufman, to start off a set of rapidly rotating records about Solanum Like a Persicum. Tomato, 
cheaper tomatoes are cheaper now's the time to fall in love the butcher the baker 
The candlestick maker gave their price a downward shove. Grab yourself someone to fry your eggs and bacon. She can live just like a queen on what you're making. Cause this and that's a lot cheaper. A flat's a lot cheaper. So now's the time to fall in love. Pianos are bargains You should take advantage of You can pay a little, oh, a little maybe You can even start to think about a baby You'll find that cribs are much cheaper And bibs are much cheaper So now's the time to fall in Ben Selvin masquerading as Jerry Fenwick and his orchestra with Dick Robertson providing the vocal on Potatoes Are Cheaper, Tomatoes Are Cheaper, Now's the Time to Fall in Love. Harmony 1394 was recorded November 16, 1931. A few days later, on November 27th, the band recorded it again for Columbia with Art Barnett singing and issued it under Selvin's own name. Now's the Time to Fall in Love was composed by Al Sherman with the words by Al Lewis. Before Ben Selvin, it was Jack Kelly and his South Memphis Jug Band with Red Ripe Tomatoes from August of 1933. I don't know if you could make it out, but the last lines in that song are, Oh, Mr. Charlie, you had better watch your men. They all go into the bushes and they all going in. Go to the bushes or go into the bushes is a southern colloquialism meaning to relieve oneself outdoors. We started off with Irving Kaufman, who gets top billing over Selvin's orchestra accompaniment on Nobody Else Can Love Me Like My Old Tomato Can. That's from Vocalion 14687. And I'm happy to say we have time for one more. I mentioned that Ben Selvin also recorded Now's the Time to Fall in Love with Art Barnett vocalizing. Art had rather a distinctive voice, and I love his recording with Selvin of Ben Down's sister, in which he kind of talk-sings. But before that, he was a saxophonist with the Garber Davis Orchestra, and then drummer and sometimes vocalist with Tommy Christian and his orchestra. 
Art Barnett sounds quite different on the Tommy Christian recordings, which are acoustic, and I'd like to play one of them now. with Tommy Christian and his orchestra, If My Baby Cooks As Good As She Looks. That's from Harmony 333, recorded December 28, 1926. If My Baby Cooks As Good As She Looks was composed by Jack Carroll, with the words by Irving Kale. I'm Glenn Robison, and I'm very pleased that you've chosen to spend this past hour with me listening to Rapidly Rotating Records. I hope you'll click in or tune in again next week, and as always, I thank you for your very kind attention. <laughs>